Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Thank you very much for your kindness and your hospitality. Uh, it's Lent, so uh, I, it, Lent always makes me think of this homegirl named Michelle Nunez who worked at Homeboy many years ago, and uh, she came into my office one day and she said, well, it's official, I just found out my man's been cheating on me. And I went, oh my God, I'm sorry. She went, ah, I don't sweat it, I just went to church, got me them ashes, Gave his ass up for Lent. (laughs) That that has nothing to do with what I'm going to say today, but but it's my favorite Lenten story. Uh, So in Lent, you know, we, we we hear repent, which is basically the word means to move beyond the mind you have. And we all need to do that. We want to somehow align our hearts with the God who loves us without measure and without regret. This reading today, you know, I I kind of focused on uh, the the old servant saying to God, show love. Another translation say, please let your kindness be shown. But of course, this is who God is. God doesn't do anything other. God is is not fickle or have mood swings or or even have a range of emotions. You know, I like that, I don't like that. We do, which is why we've come to think that's how God operates. God is just love. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about uh, when the wave knows it's the ocean, there's that moment when, when the lens you use sees as God sees and then Soon you have compassion and, and kindness. Kindness is the only non-delusional response to everything, which is to say every other response is delusional. Our anger, our resentment, our clinging, our unwillingness to give an inch. Only kindness. And that's all God ever wants to show to us. And the hope, of course, is that we will receive this tender glance of God and then we will become that tender glance in the world, that we will receive this kindness and then we will become it with each other and create a community of cherished belonging. That's the vision. That's why you're here today. The prophet Habakkuk writes, the vision still has its time, presses on to fulfillment, And it will not disappoint, and if it delays, wait for it. But there is that solitary vision, which is God's dream come true. But we all need to move beyond the mind we have so that we can be in the world who God is. Uh, I'm a geezer, but I, I have to always move beyond the mind I have. Otherwise, you get stuck in old tired language, old hackneyed ways of expressing who God is, and it, it, 
It blocks the pores of our soul and our spirit. And we have to move beyond where we get stuck. There was a homie named Caesar, who I'd known since he was a kid, and a drug dealer, gang member, in and out of prison, in and out of getting high all the time. And then he finally found his footing. And uh, we have an 18-month training program, uh, of which uh, Joseph and Freddie are here. So I hope you meet them uh, down in the waffle shop. They'll be the ones eating waffles. And uh, so Caesar was like in his ninth month, and, and you moved to different phases. Then he moved to one of our 11 social enterprises, uh, the Homeboy Bakery. And one day he came in, just a character, a dangerous sense of humor, very smart, and uh, has had a lot of starts and stops at Homeboy, and, and, and this was a good moment. And, and he came in, he had a hairnet on, and he had a... a an apron that said Homeboy Bakery and dusted with flour. And, and he was appreciative that he was working in the bakery. He says, it, it feels proper to be baking bread. And I bring it home to my family. And my mom, she's proud of me. And my kids, they're not ashamed of me. And, and then he looks at me and he says, and you know who I have to thank for this job. And I said, well... <laughs> who and he looked at me strangely and he said well God of course <laughs> oh no that's that's right that, that would be God <laughs> wait a minute you thought I was going to say you I said no gosh God's number one he said you are so lucky that we're not living in dem Genesis days I'm sorry, dem Genesis days? He goes, yeah, because God would have been had struck down your ass already by now. <laughs> and you, you move beyond the notion of God that might have been born in dem Genesis days. And it's not to disparage it, but we're always on the move. We always want to have a more spacious, wide notion of the God we have so that we can be in the world tender as the tender one is with us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, always talks about the God who's always greater and we too want to find this wild God as Meister Eckhart spoke, the God who is intimate in God's welcome and generous in hospitality. We want to find that God so we can create a community of kinship such that God, in fact, might recognize it. You know, systems change when people change. And people change when they are cherished. And everyone who walks through our doors at Homeboy comes barricaded behind a wall of shame and disgrace, and the only thing that can scale that wall is tenderness. So we need to roll up our sleeves and be kind in the world. A number of years ago, I took two homies with me, Danny and Artie, 
I hit him out of the projects, and I had a talk in the middle of no damn where, a place called Ridgecrest near the Mojave Desert, and, and we stopped, stopped at this restaurant called Coco's, and it's kind of like a notch uh, above Denny's, and uh, five notches below every other restaurant, and, and so we walk in, and these guys look like they're straight out of central casting. They're oversized waist dickies. They look like cholos, basically. And, and the hostess sees us, and uh, I said, three. And she just mad dogs us. She just stares at us. And so I, you know, I, I pull out the hand puppets, you know, table, food, three people. Well, she's not one bit happy. So she takes the menus and kind of huffs and puffs and she walks us through this restaurant. And there's a little kind of a, a little hall thing that has tables on either side. And I've never seen this happen. Everybody stopped talking in the entire restaurant. They put their silverware down. They're all staring at us. And as we're walking through, Artie goes, everybody's looking at us. I go, don't be ridiculous. Everybody was looking at us. And, <laughs> And so they take us to the, the project section of the restaurant way in the back. And, and Danny says, we don't belong here. And I said, well, gosh, you know, our money is as green as everybody else's. And then the waitress arrived, and she was a, an entirely different story. She was honey and sweetie. And later on, Artie said, uh, and she brought us free refills, and we didn't even have to ask. And she brought tapatio, which every gang member has to put on their food. And she even brought a special stash of very hot salsa that the, the Mexican cooks used on their food. She brought it to the table. And she was Jesus in an apron. And afterwards, Danny said, as we got in the car, that waitress, she made us feel like we were somebody. And that's how the world changes. The minute we know that kindness is the only non-delusional response to everything, we don't need to ask our God to show us kindness. For that is who God is. And I know we say that God is love and God is loving, but that doesn't answer the question how God is. It tells us where God is in the loving. And then we decide to let love live through us. And it is the only and singular agenda item that our God has for us, which is to love as we have been loved. And then... The wave knows that it is the ocean. There's a, a homie uh, named Gary who works at Homeboy Industries. He has three young daughters. He had been to prison. He was a meth addict, now in recovery. We were talking one day in my office, and uh, he told me that he and his twin brother, when they were nine years old, had been taken from their parents who were violent and, and uh, completely on drugs, they were sent to live with their grandmother. Gary said, uh, 
My grandmother was the meanest human being I've ever known. And so he, the two of them lived with her for one year until they ran away. And he told me that every single day after school and every single weekend for an entire year, she forced them to strip down to their chonis and to sit cross-legged in the hallway. And they had to be silent the whole time. In fact, she would put duct tape over their mouths because she said, I hate the sound of your voices. When he says that to me, his eyes well up with tears and he says, this is why I never shush my daughters because I love the sound of their voices. And then he said, in fact, last night, the oldest one got a crayon and she started to draw on the wall. And my wife said, aren't you going to say any some, something? Tell her something. And I got down at her eye level and I held her close. And I pointed at the wall and I said, that's the most magnificent work of art I have ever seen. And sooner or later we discover that kindness and love is the only thing on God's mind. Our God who loves the sound of our voices. Many years ago I was in my office and it was like at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the phone rings, and it's a homie named Horacio. And uh, I'd known him, grew up in Pico Gardens, housing projects when I was pastor. And he raised himself, which kids aren't supposed to be so good at. And I hadn't seen or heard from him in 10 years because he had been in prison and he just got out. And so he was very excited on the phone. He was saying, you know, I, I, I don't want to go back to the projects. I don't want to kick it in my neighborhood, in my barrio with the homies. I just got out and I'm staying away. And he goes on and on like this. I can't wait to see you. And, and then he says, let me just cut to the cheese. <laughs> Which I'll admit I, I never knew, heard that expression before. And, and I said, go ahead. He goes, yeah, well, I don't have any clothes. I got out. I, I went to my lady's apartment. She moved out. A neighbor told me that before she left, she took all my clothes in the backyard and she set them on fire. I think she may have been mad at me. <laughs> so I don't got no clothes. And I said, well, look, I'll come pick you up at 6 o'clock. And he gave me the address where I could find him. Well, I'm used to picking up homies where they're, uh, you know, you have to get out of the car or honk or go find them. But, but not this guy. There was Horacio waiting on the corner. Big, huge guy after 10 years in prison of lifting weights constantly. Tattoos. God had forgotten to give him a neck. And he's standing there on the corner 
And he waves at me and he hops in the car, gives me a big hug. He plants a big wet kiss on my cheek. And he said, when I saw you right now, I got all happy. I said, me too. So we went to the mall and I told him how much money he could spend. And in short order, his arms are filled with clothes and we're in line, people ahead of us, people behind us. And, and he has something, what the homies call a loud ass voice. He was just really loud. And while we're in line, he, he points at this man and his wife and a young boy. And he says, see that guy over there? Everybody turns, of course, and looks. <laughs> well, I thought I knew that guy. So I walked up to him and I said, hey, don't I know you? And the guy goes, like this, no. Like he's going to have a paro cardiaco, a heart attack. And, and his wife holds the boy and she says, no, we do not know you. Like they were all afraid. And then I looked more closer and I said, oh, my bad. I thought you were somebody else. As soon as I said that, they got all relaxed. And he looks at me and he says, damn, G, do I look that scary? I said, no, pretty much, yeah, you do. <laughs> Everyone in earshot laughed and suddenly kinship so quickly. Then we went out to eat and then I, I drove him home. And before he got out of the car, he said, can I be honest with you? I'm scared to be out. I said, well, mijito, you have the best heart of anybody I know. Stay close to that heart. You'll be fine. And he gave me a hug and he left. Well, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. And it's from Horacio. And like every homie who calls me at 3 o'clock in the morning, they always say, did I wake you? <laughs> and I said, no, just sitting here hoping you might call. <laughs> and he says, I have to ask you a question. And after I determined that he hadn't been drinking, I said, fire away. He said, well, you know how all my life I've seen you as my father? I said, yes. And now he starts to cry. And he says, have I been your son? Oh, hell yeah, amigo. Of course. And now he begins to sob. And then he says, then I you will be my father, and I will be your son, and nothing will separate us, right? That's right. And he said, I love you. And he said, good night. Of course, the moral of that story is not that 
that early morning, Horacio discovered that he had a father. He discovered that he was a son worth having. No need to pray to our God, show us kindness, show us love. This is who God is. And so we choose to be in the world who God is. James Finley says, yeah, we say that God is in heaven, and yeah, we say God is in you, but what if God's heaven is you? One of the great homies I've ever known, Joseph, was in my office, and we were talking. And uh, as the conversation ended, he said, you know what I think life is? Life is removing the blindfold. And I said, I think you're right. But what do you see, Joseph, when the blindfold falls? put his hand on his chest and he said, goodness, only goodness. And suddenly the wave becomes the ocean. We see as God sees and we choose to be in the world who God is, loving and kind. I was uh, channel surfing and I saw the Dalai Lama being interviewed. And he said, in answer to a question in, in his uh, English that can sometimes be labored, he repeated the question that he had just been asked. He said, the mark and the measure of every authentic religion is and then he put both hands over his chest and he says, warm-heartedness. And it's a clunky word and its clumsiness kind of serves it a little bit. He, he used it a lot as he continued to answer this question. He says, yes, it's about our own inner peace. But it's also about going out to the world to be warm-hearted. It is the kindness of God that in the end matters only if you become that kindness in the world. For systems change when people do, and people change when they are cherished. Many years ago, uh, there was a 19-year-old uh, gang member named Youngster who I thought was ready to work at Homeboy, so I, I walked him over to uh, Homeboy Silkscreen, which is one of our uh, earliest businesses, been around for almost 30 years. High quality work, uh, reasonably priced, we UPS to Memphis. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. And so I walk him in there and I introduce him to uh, 30 of his co-workers, and uh, half of them are 
our enemies, rivals, and I watch him shake hands and I watch him look them in the eyes and I think, wow, this is great, until he gets to the last guy, a guy named Puppet, and when Puppet and Youngster are in each other's vicinity, they mumble something and they, they stare at their shoes, they don't shake hands. Well, I know they're enemies, but he just shook hands with a bunch of enemies. I find out later that this is a hatred that's really quite personal and deep, beyond which neither of them think they can get past. So I sensed that much at the moment, and I said, look, if you can't hang working with each other, let me know. I got a bunch of people who want this job, and they don't say a word. Six months later, Puppet walks to a corner store some distance from his home. He purchases something, but on the way home, for some reason, he takes a shortcut and he dodges into an alley, and because he took this detour, suddenly, unexpectedly, he's surrounded by ten members from a rival gang, ten against one, and they beat him badly and they leave him in this alley. Somebody finds his body and takes him to White Memorial Hospital where he's declared effectively brain dead. But it's the policy there to keep you connected for 48 hours so you can get two straight days of a flat read and then the doctors can sign his death certificate. I was speaking at St. Louis University. I flew home immediately. I've seen a lot of horrible things in my life, but nothing to compare to the sight of this young man with his head swollen many times its size. It was horrifying. You could barely train your eyes on him. And at the end of the 48 hours, I anointed him with oil, and I said a blessing prayer, and we disconnected. And a week later, I buried him. But it, within the first 24 hours, as I was sitting alone in my office, it was 8 o'clock at night, the phone rings, and it's youngster, Puppet's co-worker from the silkscreen factory. Hey, he says, that's messed up about what happened to Puppet. And I said, yeah, it is. And then with a certain kind of eagerness even, he said, is there anything I can do? Can I give him my blood? And we both fall silent under the weight of it. Until finally, he breaks the silence, choking back his tears, and he says with great deliberation, he was not my enemy. He was my friend. We worked together. Now, can I say that always happens at Homeboy Industries? Of course it does. Any exceptions? No. And it shouldn't surprise us that God's dream come true for us just happens to be our own deepest longing for ourselves. Because God's heaven is you. And systems change when people change.
And that only happens when we cherish each other. We choose to be in the world who God is when the wave finally becomes the ocean and we love as we are loved. That's our vision. For the vision still has its time, presses on to fulfillment, and it will not disappoint. And if it delays, we wait for it. Thank you. Dialogue is a podcast of Calvary's Lenten preaching series, a 100-year-old tradition that invites wise and inspiring speakers into our pulpit during the season of Lent. Dialogue is produced by Noah Glenn of Perpetual Motion. Our theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about the home of dialogue in the Lenten Preaching Series, Calvary Episcopal Church is an eclectic bunch of Christian people. We don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into a beloved community marked by unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to Dialogue at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee. 